Welcome to episode 109 oh. of the Live Beyond Average podcast. I bet you look coming in here today, I uploaded, I was uploading one as you walked in, you probably thought we were on 108. I would have said 108. Ah, yes, uploaded a new one this morning while you were coming in. So, episode 108 of the Live Beyond Average podcast, here with my co-host Dustin Lubke. We are in late January, already the last few days of January, which means... We're heading down to New Mexico in a few short weeks. Yes. I'm stoked. It's finally, it's almost here, dude. It is. It's kind of been that, you get so excited when you draw the tag back in, what was it, like April, early yeah. May? Yeah. And then you, it's out there, it's out there, it's out there, and all of a sudden, it's here. You actually go through, when you draw that February hunt, you go through a dead time of like, where you almost forget that you have the tag or you're not looking that much forward to it because it's so far out. Literally, New Mexico reopens applications for the following year before you go on the hunt. So, like, they're open already. You can apply again for the same hunt for next year and you haven't even hunted it yet. Except me. Mine's once in a lifetime. Except the Oryx hunt that you have is once in a lifetime, but not the Barbara sheep hunt. No. I'm pumped for the sheep hunt, dude. This is number three for me. Number three. Third time down there. Well, this is my first. and Yeah. Excited to hike those hill country. Oh, dude, hill country. You're going to be wishing it was hill country. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be wishing them rocks were hills because it's steep. Yeah. It's steep, man. It's, it's fun stuff. It's special. It's desert. Yeah. And it is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. But everybody else, it's cool because it's a hunt where, I mean, everything else is closed up for the year. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, everybody else kind of settling in. You're starting to do that revamp. You're starting to do the systems checks. You're starting to do the gear upgrades, and uh, you know that's normally where we'd be at right here if we didn't have that hunt. Yeah. So it's fun. No, that's kind of what we were talking about today. Is just a little uh, postseason stuff. You know what? What do we do after the season's over and after we're done hunting? Yeah. You know, do we just throw stuff back in the closet, pile it all back in until we pull it out in August again? Done it. <laughs> yep, been there, done that, and then you're searching for stuff, and um, right, you know, a little bit of organization goes a long way. Yeah, uh, over the years, you know, I just, just, yep, I'm done hunting. Push it in there, push it in the closet, and then all of a sudden you're like, man, where's that pair of gloves? I know I had this shirt somewhere. Yeah, pull your boots out. There's still mud on them, <laughs> and it's so easy to do because you get done with a long season, and you're kind of like to that point of over it, you've been organizing, you've been keeping everything clean, you've been keeping everything, you know, very quick to get out the door on weekends. Yeah. And so, you know, so it's easy to load up in the truck, all of those advantages. And so you get to that where you're done and you're kinda, you do just kinda wanna go throw it in the closet or throw it in your corner of your basement, whatever it is, and just not have to think about it for X amount of months, you know? Mm -hmm. but it turns out to be half the year. Yeah. And so, yeah, what are you gonna do to you know, make sure your your gear's lasting long, make sure you're upgrading the right things, replacing things, and, uh, you know, even when it comes to clothes, like, I know my gear, like, the, your shirts, your undershirts, your base layers, you actually don't get as much time um, and, and life out of them when you just go, like, throw stuff in because they hold a little must then, mm -hmm. you know, in the pits or whatever it is, yeah. it versus, like, getting everything washed up, folded up nice, put in your travel bag that you use you know if I have a big huge tote that I not a tote but a, a big like Cabela's bag that I put all my Sitka stuff in 
And so I tried to like get the end of the year, yeah, make sure everything's washed, organized, folded up, put it all in that bag, and then I can put it in my storage spot. But it makes yeah. the life of those clothes last longer. Yeah, and I do the, the same. Um, I have storage totes that I put mine in. You know, I get certain totes for my pheasant stuff, certain totes for, mm -hmm. you know, my archery stuff. And uh, that also, after I wash that up, you know, I'll kind of go <clears> over <throat> them and I'll look through the shirts if they got hole or a tear or mm -hmm. you know same thing you know a coat zippers busted i'll kind of make note of that stuff and most of the time you can get away with not replacing it but some of the times the stuff you just got to replace it and yeah you know that's kind of when i look at all right x y and z broke this year um at a tripod that the head snapped off yep it's no good yeah but i don't know why i have it still you know, <laughs> yeah, why am I keeping I it? I can't get a replacement head for that brand. Yeah. Like, so either I need to get a different one or just I didn't need it the last half of the <coughs> year, so do I really need a different one? Right. Not really. Yeah. But at least it gives you that opportunity to start your checklist and start your gear list of, of what you need to replace for the following season because we know the expense of hunting. And so we have application season. We're putting money towards that. And so, yeah, it, it helps you be able to budget for that. Okay, I got six months until mm -hmm. I need this, this, and this. How am I going to distribute my money? Do I need to go, you know, make a little extra money here and there um, before, so I don't get to two weeks out from season and I haven't replaced six things and now I need to get all these things and the expense then is turns into a burden, right? Yep. We've been there. Yep. <laughs> We've done that where all of a sudden you're like, boots, tripod, new jacket because I have a tear in it socks all of a sudden all these little things mm -hmm. and then you're like oh you're seven hundred dollars in you're eight hundred dollars in and you're like crap yes so starting the checklist yes right? yep. starting, starting the checklist. checklist um and with that same thing with the cleaning uh boots i usually you know i throw them in the bottom of my closet come next year pull them out and you're good to go um i found that conditioning your boots, cleaning them all up, getting all the mud off of them, mm -hmm. that, you know, that stuff that sucks the moisture out of your leather and your boots. Uh, clean them all up, get a good boot conditioner, and condition them and then stick them in there. The next year they come out feeling real good. They don't feel all crusty and... Nice. You know, I noticed it the most on my uh, Upland boots. Okay. Um, they felt real dried out and real... You know, brittle, yeah, and almost like they were, and it just didn't feel right. And then I did that one year, and I'm like, well, now I guess I'll be doing boot conditioning. I need to do a better job of that. Like, I just run boots into the ground, and I just move on to the next pair of boots. Like, I know if I would take a little bit more care care of them like that, I'd probably get some more life out of them. But I feel like I just, I put so many miles on them, and they just get worn out. I just like toss them. Like, and yeah. it's more or less not the exterior, but the interior of my soul. Like. My feet just get super uncomfortable with them. I start dealing with like Achilles tightness. And so I just mm -hmm. like, I know the boot itself has more life out of them. I could, somebody could probably get some good use out of them. But I just, I even replace soles in them and I'm still right. just like, I can just tell my feet are not cooperating them after they break down so much. So I just, like I'm two weeks out from our New Mexico hunt and I wore my, I wore my boots from the last two seasons. I've used the same pair of those summits. Mm -hmm. And I wore them out here a little while ago doing some stuff in my, yeah, I was like hiked like a mile and a half. My Achilles was already killing me, and I'm like, oh, do I need to go drop 
drop money on a new pair for this hunt. And I, I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to run into Shields and maybe just grab a new pair for this hunt. Because I'm going to need a new pair for next season anyway. So I'm like, I wasn't planning on spending the money until summer. But maybe just bite the bullet. Yeah. Have a fresh pair for this hunt. Feel better. And you can use your old ones for backup too. Yep, I plan on taking them both. You know. Yeah, they're still good. Yeah. Um, eyelets in boots, something I overlooked too. Mm-hmm. And I had a pair where the, they had metal eyelets. And those started to crack or break. Yep. And uh, they would cut the laces down. Yes. So then I was like, oh, I'm going to get smart and switch to leather laces. Yeah, that worked. Saved me like four more times of going out. <laughs> and then they broke. Well, you know, they yeah. tore through it too. So having eyelets replaced, there is some boot places around that will, you know, resole, put new eyelets in. Right. <clears throat> and then getting quality boot strings too. Yeah, for not, sure. Not getting the two dollar cash register boot strings. Yep. Yep. Found that out too. Your cost is going to be about the same when you're buying five pairs of two dollar boot strings versus just one pair of twenty dollar boot strings. And there's nothing that frustrates <laughs> you more than when you're pulling your boots tight and snap. It snaps like halfway down. It's always the boot. midway down. And honestly, this is my opinion. Maybe I just suck at relacing boots. I feel like you can never relace them to fit your foot the same after the, like, the original lacing. Yeah. And maybe that's just me because I'm just like really picky about the way stuff feels. But I feel like the minute I replace my boot strings, the boots don't fit the same. It just yeah. bothers me, but I'm probably just weird. <laughs> Everybody's got their yeah. own little quirks. We, we got our own little things, and like that's my thing. I hate the feel of new strings on my boots. I'd rather just throw away the whole boot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'll buy the five or ten. No, we're throwing strings. away the boot, Dustin. Uh, <laughs> I'll replace a three hundred dollar pair of boots. Strings went bad. Yep. It's like buying a new pickup when your tires go bad. <laughs> there are some people that <laughs> hey, I went and leased a new truck when my tires went bad. It was like, all right, a thousand bucks to register a new vehicle, a thousand bucks for new tires. Went and got upgraded the vehicle. <laughs> yeah, it, the payment was the same per month. It was a smart move, but it is a funny like mindset to be like, you know, replace a whole pair of boots because the strings went bad. I hate the feeling of it. Yeah, it just feels weird. But yeah, little things like that, replacing the eyelets, watching those strings, conditioning the boot. Get a whole nother season maybe out of your boot, yeah. you know, versus and just comfort comfortability. Uh, the waterproofing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. When you condition them, it really helps the waterproofing of right. that boot. Um, I know, you know, you'd take four or five seasons on a boot, and it'll start leaking. Your foot will start getting damp, and right. you might have a good Gore-Tex layer in there, inner layer, and. It's not going to be as good if you don't help the outside. Right. Help shed the water on the outside. Right. Yeah, dude, that's boots. Boots, I, dude, are you the way with boots that you like? You love them. It's like one of your favorite pieces of gear, but you hate spending money on them. Yep. That's how I am too. I used to think that with uh, running shoes was the same way. It's hundred percent feel the same. When way. I was younger, you know, in college, I would get the, you know. Obviously, in college, you can't buy super expensive shoes, so you'd get like thirty-five dollar Nikes. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, these are great. And then they'd hurt your feet and... Shins, knees hurt. Yeah, you're buying two pairs a year. And then (laughs) I went in and, you know, you walk on the pads and see what, you know, what shoe you should have. And you're like, man, things like over a hundred bucks. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's super comfortable. And the same thing with insoles, too. You can change a lot with just an insole. Oh, dude. I I did that with my hunting boots the last couple times. I just... Right away, I take out the stock insole. Yep. I throw on a good pair, and you can tell the difference. It's it's insane. But like, even with running shoes, I mean, 
Yeah, I, my junior year when I was running track in college, I was, yeah, same thing. You run, was running on like cheap Pumas. You know, I could, I, I could buy two pairs for 70 bucks mm -hmm. online. And they were like a long, you know, they were for like your generic training, not our sprint training, but like, you know, going out for jogs, whatever, this and that. And our speed, like quick speed work where you're not wearing spikes. Like, and I never had shin splints in my life. And I got shin splints so bad. Finally, they hurt so bad, I went and bought myself like a $130 pair of Asics and my shin splints were gone in a week. Yeah. And that's when I was like, my whole mindset on shoes went from cheap to like, hmm, okay. Like price and quality and finding the right pair that fits you does matter. They last like, longer. You get more miles out of them. Yep. Ultimately. Yep, exactly. So that's when I started not being such a cheapo with shoes. I still use them too long. Like I don't replace them fast enough, but when I do replace them, I try to get something a little nicer. Mm -hmm. But yeah. All right. So on to the next thing. Uh, what you thinking? Weapons. Ooh. <clears throat> you clean your gun? Not as much as I should. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a lot of people. I, I'm a kind of a post-season guy, it, especially like pheasant season. Yep. I can, I can usually go with full yeah. season, and then give it a really good clean. And like this time of year, you know, when it's cold out, and you want to do something, <coughs> but you don't want to be outside doing it. So yeah. you know, I'll pull a, pull the old gun out on the table and tear it all apart and clean it up, and then you look at it and you're like, man, I'm filthy yeah <laughs> yeah but uh i just don't it, it's something that i wish i was more i guess had a better attitude about yeah so i'm just like I, i'll clean it later i'll clean it later yeah and uh but it's always always worked i haven't had trouble with it jamming or you know some of the guns are so temperamental that if they get a little bit dirty the rifles will start shooting different right or shotguns will start jamming that type of thing, I haven't ran into that, so I guess I've been yeah. pretty fortunate. Dude, I've kind of been the same. Like, I've never, like, got excited about running back and cleaning my guns. Like, I do enjoy breaking down a pistol and, like, cleaning mm -hmm. it up. Or, um, I, I've always shot, like, Mossbergs that can just be, like, thrown in the mud and can still be shot. And so, yeah, I've just never had to, like, go back and clean my weapons as, as often. What changed that quite a bit for me was when I started... Uh, we started drawing some muzzle loader tags. Yeah. And muzzle loader, it's like you take three shots and you're cleaning that puppy out. Good. Super temperamental. It, yeah, they're super temperamental. They do get filthy. And the more shots you take in them, the harder it is and the longer it takes to clean. Mm -hmm. And the more like abrasion you need to get everything cleaned off. And so that really changed like my mindset with cleaning weapons. It was just like I started muzzle loading. I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing is nasty. I What happened was I borrowed one from a buddy. Well, my first year, I didn't want to go buy a muzzle loader right through the tag. So I borrowed one from a buddy and it was like insanely dirty and I cleaned it up for him. Like they must've had it in their closet or something. And so, and it took me forever to clean. Like it was insane. I was like, okay, I guess I definitely want to make sure I'm cleaning my own. Mm -hmm. And so when we bought one two seasons ago, bought, bought a muzzle loader and uh, yeah, man, just like, clean the heck out of that thing nonstop. Like you shoot it, you clean it. You never case it up without it being clean. Right. Like when we were hunting last year on the hunt with me and Devin, Devin used my muzzle loader to shoot a mule deer. Went back that night, like cleaned the heck out of it. Only took one shot on it, but cleaned the heck out of it, got it ready for my hunt the next day. Yep. Killed mine the next day, like before we packed up on home, like cleaned the heck out of it. Like just gotta make a rule, like, not casing it unless it's clean. Yeah. Now, 
my rifle on the other hand, like it doesn't get hardly grimy. Like I'm, if I'm cleaning it, it's not because of shooting. Mm -hmm. Like it's weird. My barrel doesn't collect carbon. Like sure. I'll go out and shoot, you know, had days where we're resetting in and shoot it and I'll clean it and I'm like, no, hardly any carbon comes out of the barrel. What the heck? Yeah. Just not a dirty gun. Like, but I think that's progressed too with uh, bullets and loads yeah. and through the ammo manufacturers yep. and, you know, loading, reloading your own using better powders, mm -hmm. cleaner burning powders, I guess. Yeah. Um, I would say the same with the rifles. The only change being shotgun or rifle yeah. is if it's wet. Yep, the weather. Yep, if you get some snow, some rain. For sure. That will get some surface rust, and once you start getting surface rust, like on the rib of your barrel or yep. anywhere in a shotgun or, you know, in those little creases, it's going to come back all the time. Yep. And then you're looking at re-bluing a barrel. Exactly. Which is a big pain in the butt. So, you know, if you get some weather, get it wet, then it's it's almost a must when you yeah. come back in and before you. And, you know, if you throw it in a gun safe, you don't want to spread that to other guns. Yeah, it's totally. It's just like a sickness. Yep, they <laughs> you have know, moisture in there. And, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think that's... I learned that when I was like a little kid. I just like would come in from shooting rabbits and stuff, and I just throw my gun back in the gun case, and I come back, and they're like, "What the heck?" But you didn't know, right? You know, so was, yeah, yeah. Experience, you learn those things. Thankfully, <laughs> BB bit. guns are cheap, and yeah, like, a little twenty. That was twenty-two, Ooh. but it was like, yeah, you don't want to be messing up your guns, you know? Yeah. So it's crazy, especially expensive ones now. Yeah. Oh yeah, I got a little rust spot on my nice TS Customs, and it's in like on the back of or like the firing pin. It was just from like. Coming in from a, a rainy hunt, I put it in my case, put it back in my pickup the next morning. It already had, like, yeah. and it brushes off, but you're right, it comes back pretty easy. Yeah, it'll be the first spot that comes back yep. next time. Yep, exactly, exactly. It's nuts. Um, what about, you know, like, say, pro season, you do some shed hunting. Yeah. Uh, and then, and that season for you is starting to come up, that's not huge on my yep. agenda, I guess, of things to do. Mm -hmm. But... Do you go back and like look at look for trails, look for like beds, looking for you know things that do you mark up mentally, or do you go in and kind of mark it on your GPS? So a couple different things like one one of the spots where I shed hunt, um, and I used to really get out early when I was younger because I was, I was just so excited to go do something. Like I'd even go out and hike around late December, like stupid. I found some really nice sheds in late December yeah. before, really rare. Yeah. Um, I don't even go out till March now. Mm -hmm. Like, unless snow's gone, and like, for one, if there's gonna be deer on the fields, I'm gonna be going to. I don't want to push them off before they drop their sheds. Right. And so I'm like, I don't even go in there till usually like late February, mid March. There's deer around. We've had deer around here in South Dakota. I've had muleys that I've seen in April still packing. I have literally a, a trail cam picture of a small little buck over in McCook County. I used to archery hunt over sure. here. Um, that was still packing, I used a tiny little three by three. He was still packing on May 4th. And then I had the same picture, he had like a big marking on his side. And then I had another picture of him on May 5th. And he had like little, like one inch velvet nubs. He had like dropped and grew like an inch. Like in, or maybe it was like May 6th, there was like a 30 some hour yeah. window in there or something that he dropped and grew, but he held on insanely long I don't for whatever reason I have no idea he's just a little thing but yep. I mean I've seen a number of muleys out west that early April you know April 3rd April 4th it's yeah, still 
still some in still falls. I just yeah. saw a couple yep. days ago that had them down by the big Sioux, and they were yeah. And I, I think that's it, it's early. Like January's still early. Mm-hmm. That you know deer are still holding on. A lot of them are. But anyway, like so, a couple of the fields I know it's like super pendant on what the crops were on. Sure. And so whether they're going to go to that, I've gone to fields where I've had my record shed hunting days one year where we pick up like 30, 40 on a field, you know, in one little spot, me and Matthew, and then go back the following year, field was different. And we find two sheds from the previous year that we just missed. Sure. And don't find any fresh ones. And so food plot, big, big, uh, determiner, you know, um, but yeah, like I'm, Another spot that I go to, I just kind of know where the deer, like where their bedding area is at. So like, I'll always go check that just in case they hit that up late where they're bedding. Um, I know a lot of times they head further south where they're wintering at, you know, so I'm trying to find those fields where they're wintering. Sure. Um, if you're trying to like scout a property, of course, like there's no better time than wintertime to go in and like carefully maneuver around and see deer trails because you're, you, you have the snow as evidence, right? Mm-hmm. So you can like learn deer trails that you might not necessarily see when it's really thick cover in there. So it's a good time to do, you know, recon. It's, and it, you know, it's the awesome. other thing too is this time of year, you can get through those thick areas. Yes. With yes. relative ease. Yep. You know, the snow's pushed down the grass. The Exactly. A lot of that small, like brushy, weedy undergrowth it's gone. is gone. Yep. You can see a ways. You can, you know. Leaves are gone so you can actually look through stuff. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Great time to get out and and do that. I'm just so careful now that I'm older about like just deer pressure, you know, not, not pushing them around this time if I don't have to, like just stay out of there for the most part, you know, my recon's done. Yeah. From a, from a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm like out in a new area, shed hunting or something like that, I'm just trying to go where I think animals are wintered. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to go towards where I think there's more food for them. But dude, I found sheds in like the oddest spots where you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. deer travel and they just drop a, drop a shed when they're traveling and depending on when they're moving, you know, how harsh the winter is when they're moving back and forth to different areas that they like. Yeah. I don't know. It just changes so much too, but I kind of have a couple of my little honey hole spots that are, I, I'm always going to go look no matter what, even if the food plot's not what I think it, it's going to be both much deer, I'm still going to go look. Yeah. So. Well, never hurts to look. And yeah. Especially on days, you know, when it's, those mid thirties, sunny, and you need to get outside and soak up some vitamin D. Yeah, you get to, I get to mid March, man. And you get a forty degree day, and I just wanna, I just wanna go out, put some shorts on, <laughs> dude. <laughs> literally <laughs> about put a bare shorts on, forty degree day out walking around is like being on the beach. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's awesome. But you know what? It's it's weird. Like I used to really get stoked about shed hunting, and I still do. Like it's still fun for me, but it's different. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't expend near as much energy or expenses to right. to go do it now, you know? Yeah. If I do go out, it's like, I want to take Eve out for an afternoon. Sure. So I kind of have to be, is the weather going to be good enough to go out? I'm not going to be able to go as long as I want or as far as I want because I'm having a, you know, four-year-old, five-year-old little girl with you. But it's like, it's at this point of my life, it's more about going out with them than it is even how many I get. It's like, I just want to make sure we get one or two right. that she can be stoked about. So that's what I'm looking forward to this year is just, me and Amy went out to the hills last year and did a little hiking around, like didn't find anything, you know, found a couple little ones, but it was more or less for us just like get out there, let's just hike for two days. Right. Let's just 
that's our exercise. Let's go and just crush it for two days and have the packs on, pack some food, have some fun, like get away. Yep. I'm almost to the point where I can't wait till like the kids can come put on miles with us. They're still a little too small, but looking forward to that. So. Yeah. Um, the other thing too is this time of year that really helps is throw, pulling some meat out of the freezer oh, and uh, throwing it on the smoker mm-hmm. or making your jerky, your summer sausage, stuff that I feel like a lot of the times we don't have time for in the fall because yeah. we're still in hunt mode. Yep. You know, you still got potato filler. You still want to do, you know, like me, I want to late season December. I love pheasant hunting late season. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not really going to do a whole lot with processing stuff. Right. But, you know, I've seen a lot of guys, my next door neighbor, he just pulled out, you know, a bunch of deer meat and he's grinding and smoking up some, nice some summer sausage and, you know, because he got time to do it and, uh, we don't have a lot of football on on the weekends. So you can. Everything slows down come February first. Is kind of that like yeah that time. So yeah, what a great time to actually like expend some energy on trying some new recipes. You know, mm-hmm. trying out a new you know your new smoking recipe, whatever it is, grinding up your meat. That's a good idea. Like, and I I, I want to spend some money on like a new on a grinder. Start doing a little bit of that, even if it's not all of it, mm-hmm. but just purely for yeah some new things to do and try. And I, this time of year, sometimes too, in you know, in December, you're fighting with your spouse and or significant other for baking cookies and doing oh, Christmas yeah. stuff. Counter space, and you're trying to pull a whole bunch of deer meat off, <laughs> like that deer meat, and or yeah. wild game and cookies. And... Yeah, kind of gross to have yeah, the same counter. Stop that. I didn't think of it like that. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I've been, like been lazy the last couple of years and have had. 90% of my stuff processed the last couple of years. Yeah. I used to do all my deer myself, but the last few years just so busy. I'm like, I usually cut it all up and put it in my freezer and then I take it to the processor in like yep. January, February, because I don't want my stuff mixed with other people's. So I do do that, but I typically yeah. get it done. It depends too. And I know my girls are kind of picky with some of the wild game yeah. stuff. So. I'm going to make it into what they're going to eat. Yes. So and a lot of sticks, sausage. Yeah, sticks, summer sausage. Make our own Lunchables, you know. Yeah, exactly. So much fun to do that. Yeah, let them cut the meat up and mm-hmm. cut the cheese up and make your own versus buying some. $5 tiny little package. It's gross anyway. Sodium loaded. Yeah. Well, dude, and I, like, talking about making stuff, like our antelope that we shot, I, we did take that whole thing and, like, basically threw it on the counter, cut it up and made our own jerky mm-hmm. and just tried like several different recipes, like kept the back straps for steaks because they are phenomenal, but just kind of didn't have time to either even do the, didn't really want to haul it up to the packager either. So we just like jerkied the whole thing and that was fun. And we did, I mean, antelope, there's not a ton of meat, so you can actually hammer that out in a few hours. Right. But that was fun too, just trying some new things where, you know, I could have had that same thing done and it turned out really good, but yeah, what it cost me 10 times the amount. So yeah. it was kind of nice to just do something different for once and not always have it done. But I always usually get, I spend an ample amount of money every year getting my kidney <laughs> sticks made, summer sausage made. But like you said, it is how like your kids get excited about it too. It mm-hmm. tastes good. They don't know that it's just like buying something at the, it's better than buying something at the gas station. Oh yeah. And then I feel like some of that stuff, you know, you can take a meat and cheese tray to a get together and pull that stuff out. And it, the wild game, the sticks, the summer sausage, stuff like that, people don't 
get there. Not everybody gets that. And it's kind of funny you get it and people are like eating it. Oh, what's this? Oh, it's, this one's a mule deer. They're like, what? Yeah. They look at it. Yeah. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Then they go to town eating it. Yep. They could have never experienced that. Yeah. Before. And then they get excited about it, you know, and the people get it. And then once they know, you come back the next year and they're like, did you, did you bring any of those sticks that you brought last year? They get really excited yeah. about it. So it's I kind did, of, it's I do a lot of jalapeno pheasant poppers. Yes. You know, bacon wrap pheasant poppers with the pheasants that I get. And that's kind of my staple that I bring to get togethers. And I that's have awesome. One, one gal, she's like, oh, these are amazing. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's pheasant in the middle. And she kind of looked at me. And she didn't know, I didn't know how she was going to take it. And she was like, well, that's cool. Did you shoot it? I'm like, well, yeah, we didn't. Oh. And she just goes to town eating Yeah. It. But you have to, the jalapeno poppers, you have to, there's a certain certain number you can eat before your next day is really not going to be pleasant once they start working. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, you have stop at three. Yep. Stop at three or four. Because you can eat 20. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, so jalapeno good. anything, I'm I'm a fan. I, I, I'm, it's bad. The older I get, the more I'm getting into spicy food, and the more spicy, spicy food has a reaction on me. <laughs> so it kind of sucks because I love it. But yeah. That's, you know, that's something else too is different recipes with the stuff that you mm -hmm. get. Um, this time of year, you, you're not doing as much outside. So you can look up different recipes, start mixing... Mix and match and some wild game in Play where around. you would where you would put chicken or where you put beef or pork. Mm -hmm. uh, just throwing that in there and some, you know, pork fried rice. You could yeah throw some venison in there and just yeah. do it a little bit different. Yeah, and I mean, great time to like I just hit up the Walmart and buy a ton of different seasonings because they have like an awesome aisle of just their aisle now. The one new one in town sure. is insane, and I just have like just go and I'll pick up a extra one or two every time we go shopping and then you have a huge cupboard full of just a variety of these seasonings start playing around with different flavors mm -hmm. it makes it you know it makes it a lot of fun because you are having a lot of the same meat frequently but now you're changing flavors right and that's what makes it where you're not burning yourself out of having similar meats all the time yeah so. no i throw a lot in chili mm -hmm. um make a lot of different chilies with it yes i know we tried just some straight venison burger and throwing that in with like uh, like pastas, like spaghetti or yep. lasagna. That was a little too little too gamey. Was it for well for my family? Sure, I thought it was okay, but yeah, they're like ah yeah. And see, I do almost all exclusive elk now versus deer burger. So it's, elk, you can get away with that. Like yeah. I don't add any fat to it. I right. use straight burger, and but yeah, venison. I'm like. It's weird the different taste between deer and elk. I used to think deer was the best thing on the planet. Yeah. And then I started eating elk, and I was like, I'll give away all my deer every year. <laughs> deer, I mean, the other thing, too, is what, the freezer. what those deer eat. Oh, yeah, for sure. You if, get a Black Hills buck on pine cones and needles. That's way back in the way back in the hills versus a... Yeah, versus a corn-fed whitetail. Oh, yeah, dude. For sure. There's... It's... Just like beef, for, for sure. Grass-fed and corn-fed. Yep. It's obviously going to taste better. It's going to taste Yep, for sure. I don't don't disagree with you at all. But it's weird because antelope eat nothing but goat heads and prairie grass, and I right. think antelope are the. I mean, antelope is amazing. Right. One of the best meats you can even get. If it's prepared right from the field, processed right. Oh yeah, dude. You don't care of. Leave it out in the hot sun and throw it on. 
behind your tailpipes for a nine-hour drive. <laughs> you gotta get it. Gotta get it cut up. Put in your cooler. Yeah. ASAP. You know, get it out of the sun. That is money. Right. It's absolutely one of the best meats you can possibly have. I think so. Yeah. Is that all you got? That's kind of all I got for yeah. today. Yeah. A little, little just... postseason prep. You know what I mean? Like getting thinking. You know, when things are slowing down. You know, how how can you spend some of those slow days, those weekends, and still kind of be in hunt hunt mode, fun mode, where you're, we all get kind of bummed out this time of year. You're happy to be home, but at the same time, you're you're missing it. Right. You know, you're missing those those times. So how can you use some positive, you know, build some positive energy with it, and one, you know, disperse expenses mm-hmm. if need to. You know, we talked about that at the beginning. Learn some new things with food and recipes. And storage. Storage. Organizing. Yeah. Organizing your storage area. Organizing your clothes. And saving money in the long run by keeping care of gear. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of positive things that can come from this time of year from, yeah. from a hunting aspect. And then just like talk about the shed hunting or just whatever, like the fun stuff, the cooking new recipes. So a lot of different ways yeah. to spend some of these dead weekends here over the next few weeks and, and be productive. We've got... That ATA show, just archery show that just happened. Uh, shot show's coming up. Shot happened last week. The I missed it already. Oh, shot show. I mixed them up. Yep. The uh, with the sportsman's expo is coming up. Yep. So a lot of ideas are going to start floating around about new gear that's going to come out too. Yeah. And you know, say you broke that uh, piece of gear and you're looking at something new, or that stuff's way out of the market. You know, some of it's just super gimmicky. Yeah. So it's kind of fun to look into that stuff now, too, that's coming out. and For sure. Uh, and maybe score deals on some stuff that you wanted from last year that's now last year's model that, you know, get it on sale. So Yeah. Great time to save some cash. Don't wait till the last minute. <laughs> no, because it's definitely not on sale last It's not. You know, it's last like, minute. comes into season, it's not on sale, and... You're loading your credit card up, yep. but, you know, replacing everything all at once. It's now the new bows are all out, the new guns are starting to roll out, the mm-hmm. models. So those hunting shows that filmed where those guys were using it last year, that their new season's rolling out now. So you're going to start seeing a lot more advertising for the new gear and the stuff that they were using on the hunts now too. Right. So some of that stuff's interesting to see and other stuff it's like, yeah, I'm... Just fine. With yeah, exactly. What I'm using. Exactly. It's fun, but it's always fun to learn mm-hmm. new stuff. So, thanks for jumping on another episode of the Live Gun Average podcast. We really appreciate it, and we'll catch you next time. We'll probably see you in a couple weeks. Oh yeah, from New oh, Mexico. From New Mexico. That's right. That's gonna be awesome, dude.